Principle 4 The Lord has confirmed to us by His word that He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires rather that they turn and live, for He does not want to leave anyone with any excuse to doubt this truth. If you dare to question His word, I hope you do not dare to question His promise. As Christ has solemnly declared that the unregenerate and unconverted cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, verse 3, John 3, verse 3. So God has sworn that His pleasure is not in their death, but in their conversion and life. And as the Scriptures say, because He could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself, Hebrews 6, verse 13. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of strife wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Hebrews 6, verses 16 through 19. If there is anyone who cannot reconcile this truth with the doctrine of predestination or the actual damnation of the wicked, that is, his own ignorance, he has no pretext left to question or deny the truth of the point in hand, for this is confirmed by the promise of God, and therefore must not be distorted to reduce it to other points. Rather, Doubtful points must be reduced to it, and certain truths must be believed to agree with it, although our shallow minds hardly discern the agreement. If you are an unconverted sinner who hears these words, I ask you now to ponder a little upon the previously mentioned principles, and think for a while who it is who takes pleasure in your sin and damnation. Certainly it is not God, for He has declared for His part, that he takes no pleasure in it. I know that it is not your intention to please him. You do not dare to say that you drink, swear, neglect holy duties, and quench the stirrings of the Spirit to please God. That would be like condemning the prince, breaking his laws, and seeking his death, and saying that you did all this to please him. Who is it, then, who takes pleasure in your sin and death? It is not anyone who bears the image of God, for they must be like-minded to Him. God knows that your faithful teachers take no delight in seeing you serve your deadly enemy and recklessly risk your eternal state as you knowingly run into the flames of hell. It is no pleasure to them to see the sad effects of such blindness, hard-heartedness, carelessness, and presumption upon your souls. They take no joy in seeing such determination in evil and such unteachableness and stubbornness against the ways of life and peace. They know these are the marks of death and of the wrath of God, and they know from the word of God what is likely to be the result of them. Therefore it is no more pleasure to them than to a tender-hearted physician to see the marks of the plague break out upon his patient. How sad to foresee your everlasting torments, and not know how to prevent them, to see how near you are to hell, yet 
we cannot make you believe it and consider it, to see how easily, how certainly you could escape, if we only knew how to make you willing, how near you are to everlasting salvation, if you would only turn and do your best and make it the care and business of your lives. But you will not do it. Even though we give our lives to convince you of God's truth and your need of salvation, we cannot persuade you to it. We study day and night what to say to you that may convince and persuade you, and yet nothing has worked. We lay before you the word of God and show you the very chapter and verse where it is written that you cannot be saved unless you are converted, yet most of you remain unconverted. We hope you will believe the word of God, even if you do not believe us and that you will pay attention to it when we show you the plain scripture for it. However, we hope in vain, and labor in vain, in regard to any saving change upon your hearts. Do you think that this is a pleasant thing to us? In secret prayer, we often lament to God with sad hearts, O Lord, we have spoken to them in your name, but they do not pay attention to us. We have told them what you commanded us to tell them concerning the danger of an unconverted condition, but they do not believe us. We have told them that you have said that there is no peace to the wicked, Isaiah 57 verse 21. But even the worst of them will hardly believe that they are wicked. We have shown them your word, where you have said that if they live after the flesh, they will die, Romans 8 verse 13 but they say that they will believe in you when they will not believe you. They say that they will trust in you when they give no credit to your word. They hope that the threatenings of your word are false, and they call that hoping in God. Although we show them where you have said that when a wicked man dies, all his hopes perish, Proverbs 11, verse 7, yet we cannot persuade them to turn from their deceitful hopes. We tell them what a contemptible, unprofitable thing sin is, but they love it and therefore will not leave it. We tell them how much this pleasure will cost them and that they must pay for it in everlasting torment, and they praise themselves and will not believe it, but will do as most people do. Because you are merciful, they will not believe you, but will imperil their souls, come what will. We tell them how ready you are to receive them, and this only makes them delay their repentance and be bolder in their sin. Some of them say they intend to repent, but they are still the same. Some say they have already repented, yet they are not converted from their sins. We warn them, we plead with them, and we offer them our help, but we cannot prevail with them. Those who are drunkards are still drunkards. Those who were carnal, flesh-pleasing reprobates are still the same. Those who were worldly are still worldly. Those who were ignorant and proud and self-conceited are still that way. Few of them will see and confess their sin, and fewer will forsake it, but they comfort themselves that all people are sinners, as if there were no difference between a converted sinner and an unconverted sinner. Some of them will not come near us when we are willing to instruct them, but think they know enough already and do not need our instruction. Some of them will hear us, 
but then they do what they want. Most of them are like dead men who cannot feel, so that when we tell them of matters of everlasting consequence, we cannot get a word of it to their hearts. If we do not accept them in their sin and indulge them in doing all that they do, no matter how much against the word of God it is, they will hate us and revile us. If we urge them to confess and forsake their sins and save their souls, they will not do it. They would have us disobey God and condemn our own souls to please them. Yet they will not turn and save their own souls to please you. They are wiser in their own eyes than all their teachers. They rage and are confident in their own way. And no matter how concerned we are, we cannot change them. Lord, this is the case of our pitiable neighbors, and we cannot help it. We see them ready to drop into hell, and we cannot help it. We know that they could be saved if they would sincerely turn, but we cannot prevail upon them to do so. If we would fall upon our knees and beg them, we cannot convince them to turn. If we would plead with them with tears to turn, we still cannot persuade them. What more can we do? These are the secret complaints and laments that many poor ministers are compelled to make. Do you think that he has any pleasure in this? Is it a pleasure to him to see you continue in sin and not be able to stop you? Does it please him to see you so miserable and cannot even make you aware of it? Do you think he likes to see you light-hearted when you might be in hell within the hour? Does it give him pleasure to think what you must forever suffer because you will not turn, and to think what an everlasting life of glory you deliberately despise and cast away? What sadder thing can you bring to their hearts, and what else could you do to grieve them more? Who is it, then, whom you please by your sin and death? You do not please any of your godly friends. No, for it grieves their souls to see your misery, and they often mourn for you when you do not thank them for it, and when you do not have the heart to mourn for yourself. Who is it, then, who takes pleasure in your sin? First, the devil indeed takes pleasure in your sin and death, for this is the very goal of all his temptations. He watches for this night and day. You cannot please him any better than to continue in sin. How glad he is when he sees you going into the tavern or committing some other sin and when he hears you curse or swear or take God's name in vain. How glad he is when he hears you berate the minister who wants to draw you from your sin and help to save you. These things are his delight. Second, the wicked are also delighted in it for it is agreeable to their nature. Third, Despite all this, I know that it is not the pleasing of the devil that you intend, even when you please him, but it is your own flesh, the greatest and most dangerous enemy that you intend to please. It is the flesh that desires to be pampered and wants to be pleased in food and drink and clothing. It is your flesh that desires to be pleased with society, pleased in applause and honor from the world, and pleased in sports, lust, and leisure. This is the gulf that devours all. This is the very God that you serve. 
For the scripture says of such people that their bellies are their God. Philippians 3 verse 19 Now I ask you to stay a little and consider the matter. Question 1. Should your flesh be pleased ahead of your Maker? Will you displease the Lord, your teacher, and your godly friends in order to please your carnal appetites or fleshly desires? Is not God worthy to be the ruler of your flesh? If he does not rule it, he will not save it. You cannot reasonably expect that he would. Question 2. Your flesh is pleased with your sin, but is your conscience pleased? Is it not dissatisfied within you? Does it not tell you sometimes that all is not well, and that your situation is not as safe as you make it to be? Should not your souls and consciences be pleased before your corruptible flesh? Question 3. Is not your flesh preparing for its own displeasure also? It loves the bait, but does it love the hook? It loves the strong drink and sweet morsels. It loves its ease and sports and fun. It loves to be rich and well-spoken of by people and to be somebody in the world. But does it love the curse of God? Does it love to stand trembling before His judgment seat and to be condemned and sentenced to everlasting fire? Does it love to be tormented with the demons forever? Consider all of this. For there is no separating sin and hell except by faith and true conversion. If you will keep one, you must have the other. If death and hell are pleasant to you, it is no wonder that you continue in sin. But if they are not, as I am sure they are not, then no matter how pleasant sin seems to be, is it worth the loss of eternal life? Is a little drink, food, or ease worth losing your soul? Is the flattery of sinners or the riches of this world to be valued above the joys of heaven? Are they worth the sufferings of eternal fire? Before you go any further, these questions should be considered by every person who has sense to consider and who believes he has a soul to save or lose. The Lord here affirms that He has no pleasure in your death, but rather that you would turn and live. If, however, you choose to continue as you are and to die rather than turn, remember that it was not to please God that you did it, but it was to please the world and to please yourself. If people will doom themselves to please themselves, if they choose to face endless torments for a little temporary delight, and if they do not have the sense, the heart, or the grace to listen to God or man who desire to redeem them, what remedy is there? They must take what they get by this and repent of it in another manner, when it is too late. Before I proceed any further in the application, I will consider the next doctrine which gives me a more solid foundation for it.